Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 73 of Oral Presentations. This is the 420 special, number two. It's called Caught Sleeping on the Job with Edgar Casey. What's up? I was going to go aliens again. We went aliens last year. I felt like everybody had an okay time with that one. But you can't run the same play twice. I really, in my head, was going to go aliens. Then I was like, all right, well, what kind of like alien stories do we have? And then I listened back to the old episode. And I'm like, all right, man, what more aliens you got? You know, well, we really, am I going to look up documents? Am I going to be a man who looks up alien documents that are released by the United States government? I tried. I did look. I looked. Because in that, in that episode, they said in the one last year, in the 420 special last year, they said that there was going to be documents coming out. I didn't see any documents, man. I'm pretty sure they just kept pushing them back. And then, uh, allegedly in June, they're going to release some. So, even though I intentionally tried not to have an episode about aliens again, w- look where we landed, dude. In a UFO. Alright, that's not what we're doing this year, though. We're doing a psychic. His name's Edgar Casey. He's the founder of what's known as the New Age Movement, but he didn't, he didn't find, uh, found anything, dude. He just, he just hung out. He, the best I can tell, I don't see any signs from this guy's story that he was trying to be a shyster, but it is, by no fault of his own, the events of this story do take place during the most shyster era if I had to pick one in human history, which is like 1880 to 1920, where you could pretty much get away with whatever you got. That's also where our our friend Charles Ponzi hung out and made his legacy, you know? This is is that same time, right? Pre-stock market crash, or a little bit before then. So the way that this episode is set up, all right, Edgar Cayce, American mystic responsible for the New Age movement. Why did I pick it? Well, it's the 420 special, and if I had a buddy who went a little too deep, you know, you know, we, let's say we're hanging out, and he had a hard week at work, and I lost track of him, and he, he took a hit, or like 19 by himself, and then came back in and was like, yo, I can't think. My strategy for the couple of situations that I've been in something like that is pick something interesting, and then just start talking about it. Even if the person's like spiraling in anxiety and like thought swirls of negative stuff, I'll just start hitting them with something. Just something, just kind of like a cat. You ever have like a cat toy with some nip in it? And you just, come on, we're over here. We're over here. I'm not saying you have to abandon those thoughts over there. Just come over here with me for a second. So Edgar Casey was the topic I landed on. I I have a handful of avant garde topics that are pretty weird that I was considering for this, and this one just kind of fit in my head, because I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't mean to offend anybody from the New Age movement, but I don't, I don't believe a word of this. I think he was a nice guy, and I think he got probably taken advantage of, but I don't, a couple of reasons for that, but like the chief one is that I couldn't look up his batting average. So Edgar Casey. And we'll cover how he did his readings, his early life, how he he started completely non-magical, and then he got semi-magical, and then he became industrial magic and lights, dude. He was making so much money, but he didn't really like, he didn't, he didn't want to make money off it. 
We'll cover all that. But for me, I couldn't find a batting average because he did over, I think it's it's either 1,400 or 14,000. And either way, I should be able to look up every one of those online if I look hard enough. You, I had a hard time. I had a hard time finding anything but what people consider to be his absolute Grand Slam predictions. And I got those in here. Well, I'll leave them for you to judge if those are Grand Slam predictions or not. But I couldn't find, okay, well, how many times did he predict, you know, like, for example, he predicted China was going to be an entirely Christian country by, like, 1968. I found that one. And it's like, all right, swing and a miss on that. Or maybe it's like a, like a tooth that's loose that you're just, it's just taking a little bit longer than you think to fall out itself. But I, I mean, honestly, the way it's going and the way it, the world looks in 2021, you're going to have to put that, put some string around that tooth and get a door to close. Cause I feel like that's, that's a miss on that one, you know, but it, it was hard to find his big misses and I couldn't find an overall batting average, but. And there, there are detractors, such as, there's this dude, James Randi, who is a magician. He, I think he's dead now, but I watched a doc on him, like, a couple of years ago. And I really like that guy, too, but he was a huge skeptic, and he cited all of the language of why Edgar Casey is just fortune-telling. It's just P.T. Barnum statements. And what P.T. Barnum statements are, are those, like, uh, I get them, like, fortune cookies and quick internet quizzes where you'll get answers where it's like your fortune is you're usually shy and reserved around people. However, when given the spotlight, you have no problem taking charge of a room. That's a PT Barnum statement. Cause that'll, that'll apply to anybody. So if you crack open a cookie after some noodles and you're like, all right, well that kind of fits. That's a PT Barnum statement. And that was James Randy's opinion of Edgar Casey. I don't know. I got the guy's biography here. He really seemed really like non-ambitious. So I don't I don't know. Was he was he a a guy who was talented in some way nobody understood and got taken advantage of? Was he in on it and was he a huckster like everybody else from 1880 to 1920 or another option? Who's writing all this down? Who's taking these notes? Who's writing down these predictions? Who's monitoring the records as they travel through time and are not changed by people who could benefit from Edgar Casey being more correct on a number of things or having less totally wild, incorrect predictions? I don't know. But I don't like to be cynical, guys. So let's take a look. It's a 420 special. What am I going to do? Get upset? Come on. Teacher's Lounge. Everybody get stoned and let's talk about a psychic, dude. Let's hang out. All right. Edgar Casey. Pre-magical life. Edgar Casey was born in Kentucky either on March 18th or March 3rd of 1877. Out the gate, had a problem finding his real birthday. Wikipedia has it listed somewhere else. A couple of docs have it listed somewhere else. And then finding info on this guy, I'm telling you, you can only find correct predictions on websites that are trying to sell me crystals. So my YouTube ads are going to be a mess for the next month, dude. I'm going to get, are you looking for a new husband ads <laughs> on, my, on my YouTube from doing this one. But I'll laugh the whole thing. That's fine. Anyway, so Casey was born in Kentucky, 1877. At four years old, 
I wrote down, no country for old grandpas. All right, here's what happened. Four-year-old Edgar Casey was out with his grandpa. Edgar was on the back of the horse. Grandpa driving the horse, you know, riding the horse, whatever. I've never ridden a horse. I'm not good at horses. Let me slide on that one, dude. Anyway, so grandpa up front, little Edgar out back, riding across the river. Edgar gets let off while grandpa leads the horse across the river. Gramps has a problem, slips, foot's caught in the stirrup. Little Edgar watches Grandpa drown in the river. Nothing funny about that. Very sad. Anyway, so Edgar loses Grandpa at four years old. Very, that's traumatizing. Let's be, uh, we can all agree on that. Now, this is where Edgar becomes slightly magical because apparently his Grandpa started showing up to him and telling him, Civil War stories. I don't know what side of the Civil War Edgar's grandfather was. It's Kentucky. I tried to look it up. Kentucky was like both North and South. I tried, I tried to figure it out, man. I have no idea. But either way, and I also don't know if the ghost showed up dripping or what. I have no idea. But young Edgar has his grandfather visit him and start telling him stories. And he tells his mom and grandma about this. And they're like, okay, well, that's fine. And also, they kind of had a theory that the grandpa was magical, too. Like, if you were going to go from the Shining type deal, like, the grandpa could shine, and also Edgar could shine. So now they had some sort of connection. But that's just low-level magic for Edgar. Seven years old. Edgar starts reading the Bible every day, once a year. He also volunteered a, uh, at a, like to be a Sunday school teacher, like a apprentice Sunday school teacher, and then he became like a full-time one. And apparently he was really liked. He liked people his whole life. So it kind of fit, and he enjoyed reading the Bible. And it's said that he read the Bible every year of his life at least once. And I don't really know how long that would take, but somebody said that you have to read it every day to be able to get it done. I've never read the Bible front to back, but I went to enough church, and I don't know, I'll get around to it at some point in time. So seven years old, Edgar starts reading the Bible. All right, all right. Thirteen years old, Edgar Casey about to go to sleep. Biblical angel appears at the foot of his bed and tells him that it's his duty to help the sick. At this point in time, Edgar, I'm still going to call him young Edgar, 13 is not old, goes and tells his mom and grandmother again, and they're like, okay, well, at least, at least, uh, how about that, son? And Edgar's like, yeah, and, and also the angel told me that I should be a priest. And then the mom and grandma were like, oh, great. Well, then you know what to do, huh? That's fine. That's good. You would know how to spend your time moving forward in your life. You got a career path. Just don't, don't go telling everybody in the neighborhood about that, maybe that first part. But the priest thing's all right. I mean, I understand on that one. But just keep it, keep it brief if you tell people outside the family that story with that angel thing, if you can. Also, I wrote down here, and I'm not saying that a biblical angel didn't appear to Edgar Casey when he was 13 years old. But when I was in fifth grade in middle school, I had a dream about Kate Winslet and we were on the Titanic together. And that is 100% how I learned that you got to tilt your head when you kiss a girl. I, that was totally a foreign thing and I would not use it for... How old are you in fifth grade? I don't know. How far? However many years it takes to get from fifth to ninth and a half grade... I don't know why I got that, Edgar Casey. <laughs> I got that prediction early. 
I don't know. So I'm not trying to undercut the guy here. I, as the story goes on, I feel like Casey meant the best here. He was just surrounded by guys who wanted to take advantage of him, or he was the guy who's fooled me with his autobiography here, and he was in on it. But I think it's the first one with the way he acts. Also, I don't know. Did you guys know how to tilt your head? Did anybody? I would have never done that. I would have been. It would have been head-on collision, dude. Tractor trailer versus car that goes zorp when it explodes. That would have been a mess if I didn't have that Kate Winslet dream when I was in fifth grade. I held that. I held that information until ninth and a half grade, and then I was on a date and I was like, "And now's the time, dude. <laughs> I've known this for years." <laughs> All right. Pretty soon after, he has the angel thing and tells his mom he wants to be a priest. He gets drilled in the spine with a baseball at school and starts acting all crazy. He gets he gets walloped in the back and apparently went back because he was sort of a well-behaved student who didn't really cause any problems. And then he just caught one in the spine hard. And then just started doing the running, man, <laughs> in class while everybody was trying to do math. He was losing, doing baseball slides into like his female friends while he was class president. And then he got caught in physics class hammered and then they threw him out of school, honestly. That's what I heard. I don't know whose story that was. Anyway, so it gets hit in the spine, starts going crazy at school. People are like, what are you doing? And then a doctor comes and tells Edgar that he's in danger of going insane, which, what is it, 1894 at that point in time? A little presumptuous by the doctor. Also, Edgar, hang in there. That doesn't always mean you're done, dude. 1895. Casey finds a babe. What did I say? What did I say? I feel like you should have dressed up like it's homecoming, dude, and went to that doctor's office and be like, no, neither of us are sick. I'm just saying, didn't you say I was going to go insane, dude? Check this out. How are you? What are you, ancient, dude? Well, it's like 1895. You got three years left to live. You're going to die very soon. I hear the griefer is... <laughs> the creeper, the Grim Reaper scra scraping his sickle across your window every night. <sighs> 420 special. Anyway, so Casey finds a babe. Her name's Gertrude Evans, and she liked his idealism. Now, Casey was pragmatic here and did not marry her right away. They had communication that I'd like to spend my, the rest of my life with you, obviously. However, Casey was like, I'm broke as shit. I can't. What are we going to do? Sit here and play marbles together? Like, you need a life, ma'am. I got to go make some money. So, Gertrude was cool with that. And then Casey's dad comes in the picture here and was like, hey, Edgar, how about you come on the road with me and be an insurance salesman on the road? What are you, 17, 18, and I'm your old dad? I skipped this part, but his dad's like a drunk uh, racist who plagues his life the entire time. So it may sound like I have less faith in his dad that's deserved, but I know how the story ends, dude. So this idiot comes up and he's like, all right, son, you're going to get married. Come out on the road with me. They fail. They, they don't sell insurance. We get out of here, dude. His dad is probably hammered all the time. Doesn't work. And while that's happening, Edgar Casey also loses his voice completely. Cannot speak English at all. Can't make sounds anymore. His whole voice... Seizes up. Can still breathe. Can't talk. I'm going to call that 0 for 2 there. You were going to make money to marry your babe. You made no money and you lost the ability to talk. Thanks, Dad. Well, silver lining here. Casey comes back, starts photography. And little known fact, if you're an Edgar Casey fan, he was like a great photographer, apparently. He, he was getting a lot of jobs from New York pretty quickly. 
He had a real eye for photography. All right, March 31st, 1901. Show business saves the day. All right, traveling hypnotist named Al Lane comes to town. Now, he's doing gigs, and then he hears about a boy who has throat problems. So Al Lane, after his gigs, comes to Casey's house, and then he performs hypnotism on Edgar Casey. Now, I don't know if Casey had any sort of belief in this at the time, but the there was... It was sort of a trendy thing that hypnotism was going around. Alistair Crowley was sort of popular around the same time. I did an episode of him on Patreon. So, like, the spirit world and what's possible with consciousness was sort of becoming popular just in American society in general. So, this hypnotist got road work, and then he heard about some kid with a messed up throat, and he was like, I'll make a house call, see if we can make this happen. So, young Casey, 1901, lays down on the couch. Al Lane puts him to sleep. I don't really know how that happened. I don't know how hypnotism goes on. But but Casey went down quickly. And then as soon as he went to sleep on like a chaise, which is that like uh, psychologist long couch that is used for nothing else. I, a fainting chaise? I don't really know what it's called. A fainting chair. I don't know. One of those long things. You know what I'm talking about. You've been to a therapist before. So Casey lays down on one of those. Gets put down by the masked magician. And then as soon as he gets put down, he starts mumbling nothing. And then perfect English comes out. And Casey describes the medical affliction that's messing his throat up. He, he says it's a circulatory problem. Uh, you have to be able to get circulation to the throat to be able to free up the vocal cords. And then uh, the hypnotist woke him up. And then Casey started coughing up blood. <laughs> Not as bad as it sounds. And then after he coughed up blood, he could speak English like he was in the trance. So the hypnotist who was doing road gigs and just went to this kid's house to like maybe do a favor was like, whoa, here we go. I'm going to bring this kid on the road, dude. Are you sick? Can you do that twice a night for me? I got a 7.30 and a 10 o'clock. How many times can you fix your own throat? Because that's a closer, kid. Edgar has, has really no passion to do any sort of live shows or be any sort of public figure. With It's all kind of overwhelming. He just, he just learned how to speak English again. He, he didn't know if he was ever going to speak ever again. And this Al Lane character is like, let's go, dude. Let's make money with this. I've never seen this before. I am a huckster. You seem like you're genuine. Please, ticket sales are down. Help me out. So he does do a couple of gigs with Al Lane. And then he moves to Bowling Green because all the attention is kind of turned his stomach in Kentucky. He doesn't want to live that life. He's now a famous psychic who's living in Kentucky. And he's like, I got to, I, 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 I really have a passion for photography, man. I want nothing to do with this psychic stuff. This Al Lane guy is trying to make me do a bunch of gigs. I don't want to do that shit. I'm going to Bowling Green. He heads on down to Bowling Green. And in Bowling Green... He opens a photo studio to live a new life. Again, he has found a passion aside from falling asleep and telling people's medical diagnosis. So he's trying to get away from it, man. Opens a photo studio. But then in 1906, Bowling Green gets wind of who he is. And he's still got a photo studio down there. It's going pretty well. But the whole town knows who he is. So a bunch of doctors show up to test him. They're like, hey, man, I heard you can do medical diagnosis. We're all the doctors down here. We'd love to see you do it. So they get Edgar to do the diagnosis thing, which requires him to fall asleep, right? 
And then these doctors start like tickling him and pinching him and like trying to put pins in him to wake him up or like show that like this idiot's fake it, dude. This guy isn't asleep. Casey doesn't wake up at all. So at the very least, either he has incredible self-control or he's actually going to sleep in a hypnotic state or he just plans on being real tired when he gets in there. I don't know. But either way, these doctors couldn't wake him up with pins and insults and dead legs. So at least that one time, he was definitely asleep. Now, coincidentally, pretty soon after this happens, Casey, after the doctors test him, Casey's making enough money from New York City photography jobs that like, hey, I don't need, I'm done. I'm done with that shit. Please leave me alone, man. I've done the doctor's test. Don't bother me. I'm making some good money here. And he's finishing a number of jobs for commissions for New York City. Photo studio burns down. All right. That's horrific and coincidental, but okay. Second photo studio burns down. All right. And now, I couldn't find anybody who speculated that this was conspiracy. But how are you going to have two photos? How, how are you going to be that clumsy? Dude, also, Casey had, I think he believed, uh, it was like $8,000 worth of jobs for New York City as far as like photographs and things he was going to send up there. They all got burned up here. So Casey was broke after this happened, which then forced him to go back home where his idiot dad is like, hey, son, here's the thing. You ever, I met this guy. Now he's, He's pretty much exactly like you. He was nothing like Edgar Casey, dude. The guy that his dad introduced him to, it was just like a Huxer promoter who had newspaper connections, who could blow somebody up pretty quick. But he was, this is just Edgar Casey's dad trying to make a quick buck. Yeah, I guess making your son go out and sell insurance didn't work out. So, hey, you know, he's pretty pumped out. His actual passion of the photo studio got burned down two times. It might have been the people from Bowling Green. The doctors, we all know who. He's trying to come home to relax a little bit. Dad won't let him sit out. Introduces him to this more or less promoter booker. And then shortly afterwards, Edgar blows up big time nationally. Because, I mean, his dad wasn't full of shit when he said this guy knew what he was doing as far as promoting goes. But Casey's overwhelmed. This is too much. And this is not the life he wanted, man. Come on. I'm going to be a photographer. This whole time he hasn't wanted any of this. But... After he blows up, he receives thousands of, let of letters and a, and a lot of money in the mail being like, hey, I need, I need you to come help me. I got a sick son. Uh, there were also exotic requests from the stock market of like, hey, real quick, could you let me know about General Electric? What do you think? And Casey wants nothing to do with any of them. But his dad convinces him like, son, here's the thing. You got a gift. Can you just give me two a day? Let's just do two readings a day. I'll select which ones you're going to do. We'll do them here. And one of the things was for Edgar to do a reading, he didn't have to have the subject in the room with him. So Casey could do a reading in Kentucky for a stockbroker in New York City without ever having anybody except for him and his dad in the room because his dad would prompt him with questions. Which brings me to, what was a reading when Casey decided to do a reading? All right. So when it was time for Edgar Casey to, to tell the future, and I don't mean that in any sort of derogatory way. It's the only way I could say it without saying tell a reading again. All right. These look like 30 to 40 minute sessions. Now, if you were with Casey, it was going to be him and his dad. He always had a tie on. The three of you would walk into a room. 
And then Edgar would loosen his tie, throw some self-hypnosis down, and then lay down on one of those long Sigmund Freud couches, and he would be out so fast it would make you incredibly jealous if I was watching him. I'd be like, how do you do that without a laptop and a World War II documentary in front of you, man? <laughs> Casey could fall asleep like almost on command from the hypnosis. Now, right after he fell asleep, he would start mumbling about what's wrong with you. You got a broken leg, whatever else. I mean, that would be easy stuff. But what really put Casey on the map was, like, he predicted that blood would be used to diagnose diseases in the future. And that was unheard of at the time. I mean, talking about blood. You just keep it inside. It's not going to tell you anything. And also, he gets credit for another one of these grand slams that he had. In 1935, he predicted that Japan would come into World War II on the side of Nazi Germany. Those are his two biggest Grand Slams, predicting blood work and calling Japan coming in on World War II in 1935. So, wife gets sick. Casey's wife, unfortunately, fell prey to an illness that nobody had any, had any sort of answers for around this time. And this was one of the readings that Casey says he was the most scared to do because... You know, if you read your wife and she has a mysterious disease and the answer is she's going to be dead soon, he would be the first one to know. But he found some courage and went and did the reading and found a way to fix her. Fixed his wife. All right. Things are going pretty good. Here comes his dad again. Now, again, Casey was only doing two readings a day. They were all organized by his father, who would also ask the questions. So, Casey really didn't have a whole lot of control. He would just show up, fall asleep, and then answer whatever, wake up, go back home. Casey discovers that his father has been sneaking in. I mean, his dad's been taking money to ask his son questions regarding the future, such as, hey, at Delaware Park today, what do you think about all my jeans, the horse? And then Casey would be like, I'm not sure all my genes will place. and that, But he has no recollection of that. But he eventually woke up because his dad would ask him questions about those type of answers if they were incorrect afterwards. And so eventually Casey put the pieces together and he was like, Dad, are you, are you, what's going on here? Huge fight. Big mess. Dad, I'm sure, saying I'm sorry again because he got caught fucking up another thing in his life. However, Casey moves on and... It, pretty soon after he, his dad's trying to get him to answer all these, like, Delaware Park questions, Casey had a son back, I'm sorry, I skipped this part, back when the two photo studios burnt down in Bowling Green, one of the reasons Casey's dad could leverage him to start doing these psychic readings with that booker that he made him work with was because when those photo studios burned down, Casey had a son right before that happened with his wife, so he was like a new father Lost all forms of income. And so when he went back home and his dad seemed like he had a financial solution, he really didn't have a whole lot of other places to make money, so he had to go for it, man. So at this point in time, Casey's son accidentally drops a match into like a bucket of turpentine and burns his eyeballs. I mean, I don't think you could do that in a good way. So Casey's son's eyes are having problems. And 
So Casey takes his young son to a pediatrician, and the pediatrician's like, hey, look, we're going to have to take one of these out. And I'm not even really sure about the other one, okay? But Casey, skeptical about doing readings, is like, I don't want my dad to be the one. Like, I, come on, man, you can't be asking me all this stuff. I got to fix my son's eyes, and I don't even know if I have the courage to do this for my son. I found it once to do it for my wife, and I really lucked out there. I don't want to do it for my kid and then have the answer be like, he'll never see again. However, I got to trust you, dude. Let's do it. So Casey goes under and finds an exotic treatment using acid that you shouldn't put on eyes at the time. Nobody would ever have recommended this to be able to cure this kid's eyes that he he burned, turpentine match, kids playing around, you know? that It's unfortunate, certainly. However, Casey goes under, finds an exotic cure, cures his kid's eyes. This is another Grand Slam that people point to of like, no medical professional would have pointed out this solution for this type of injury. We don't really know. We don't know. All right. Edgar starts doing volunteer work with World War I PTSD veterans at this point in time. He's kind of soured on the idea of working with his dad to make money, even if he knows that his, or at least he gets his dad to pledge like, son, I'm never going to ask you about Delaware Park again. I'd never do that. But Edgar's like, all right, well, these guys are actually having a hard time. And, you know, psychiatric care in a real way kind of doesn't exist because it's like 1922. So I'm going to talk to these dudes. I'm going to fall asleep in front of them. One, because I trust them not to hit me with pins like those shithead Bowling Green doctors. But I feel like it could actually be helpful. And I'd like to help people. That's what that angel said when I was a kid on my, the foot of my bed. And I'm still trying to live by that. So he starts doing volunteer work. 1920. All right. Here's where he definitely gets tricked because Edgar Casey becomes a Texas oil prospector. And here's how this happens. So Casey was doing good work with those World War I veterans. A lot, I mean, it was really going well because even if the psychic thing's not real, by the end of Casey's life with some of the interviews you can listen to and some of the clips and stuff, he seemed like a really compassionate dude. So whether or not he was psychic, having somebody that will actually listen to you in 1922, 23, that couldn't have been anything but helpful for those dudes, you know? So things are going well with that volunteer work down there. So a couple of oil prospector guys approach Casey, story of his life, and they're like, hey man, what's up? Can you fall asleep for us and pick the land we're about to drill on? We'll give you a huge percentage of it, and here's what we're saying. We know the good work you're doing with WW1 veterans. What do you think about a hospital just for you and your style of healing, man? And that's how they, they hook Casey in with that because he's, he's pretty enthralled with this work with those World War I vets. And so these dudes come up with a business plan that sounds like even if it goes bad, it's not going to hurt anybody but him. So Casey's like, yeah, sure, I'll fall asleep and tell you where to dig your holes. That's cool. What's up? So for a handful of years, Casey gets tricked into going down to Texas. And he wasn't tricked. He went down on his own. Tricked is the wrong word. He just... He thought he could use his power to be able to make a greater good by funding a hospital to be able to treat a lot of the vets he was working with. I mean, but all of his, all of his oil predictions. Ah, didn't work out. And then aside from really not finding a whole lot of oil, even when you have the most famous psychic in America working with you, a couple of their oil wells got sabotaged. So people would just light them on fire and you can't put those things out. 
it was wholly a disaster down there. But Casey took a whack at it. And this is kind of the story of the guy's life, as I understand it, is that, like, he may have had a talent of some sort, but just around this time period, 1880 to 1920, hucksters were roaming. So if you had any sort of fame or anything that somebody could make money off of, come try to take advantage of you, man. All right, so after, after the Texas oil thing goes bust, Edgar Casey has a prediction that, like, all right, you got to go to Virginia Beach because, number one, oceans, specifically large oceans, bodies of water will help, but specifically oceans help enhance psychic capabilities for anybody who has psychic capabilities of any level. And then here's where it gets a little strange. He also predicted that uh, at Virginia Beach, uh, crystals from Atlantis exist. Crystals from Atlantis that also have magical healing powers in them and possibly are able to send laser signals uh, to extraterrestrials or other dimensional beings exist in Virginia Beach. So he decides for a number of reasons, let's go to Virginia Beach, you know? So he tells his family and they're like, all right, that's fine. They all go. Virginia Beach, this is the first time they're there, and it's a short-term thing, and while he's there, he also predicts, and he tells his family, like, hey, here's the thing, I've seen all of your past lives, you've had a number of past lives, also, heads up, we were all ancient Egyptians, so, you know, ancient Egyptians, modern-day Virginia Beach, pretty much, I mean, tell me that doesn't fit, they don't last long at Virginia Beach the first time, run out of money, moves to Dayton, Ohio. But that doesn't work out, so back to Virginia Beach with the crystals from Atlantis. All right. They go back from D Dayton was a short-term stay. It did not work out. They do go back to Virginia Beach, but it wasn't just like, oh, we have whatever money to move anywhere. While they were in Dayton, he was Casey was approached by a couple of angel investors, whatever you want to call them, entrepreneurs at the time, but modern-day be angel investors. They came up, and they are like, hey, man, we heard about your hospital idea. Sorry that, I mean, you're pretty bad at picking oil wells. <laughs> I don't want to lie to you, you dog shit at that. But we'll give you about 60 grand, if that works for you, back to Virginia Beach, and you can build a hospital, and it could be all your own style of treatment, man. And there's no strings attached. We just totally believe in what you're doing. Here's 60 grand. Now, I looked it up. 60 grand at the time was $900,000 today. Feels like there might be some strings attached here, but all right, we almost got a million dollars. Lost city of Atlantis it is. Back to Virginia Beach, you know? So that's why he went back. That's why Dayton was such a short-term thing. It just didn't work out. And then those dudes from New York were like, hey, I can get in on this. You know, let's give him 60K, I'm sure. But we don't have any strings or anything. We don't really need anything from the guy. Let's build this hospital. We've never met him before, sure. So, April 6th, 1929. There's a reading, and here's where the strings were, because after the hospital's built and it's up and running, and Casey's helping a number of vets with PTSD, and, and, and I mean, everybody from around the country who believes in his style of healing will come to this hospital. It's, it's kind of like a Shangri-La for him, but on, but on April 6th, 1929, those angel investors from New York come back down, and Casey does not like doing any sort of readings that have anything to do with money. From the very start, from when his dad tried to trick him into talking about Delaware Park, to the oil problems that happened, Casey blamed 
the reason that he think or he thought that like the oil predictions didn't come true is because they were based upon selfish interest. Even though his ultimate goal was to build this hospital with the money he would find from the oil, because there was a selfish economic interest in it, that's what he thought made it kind of not work. But these guys come back down, and these dudes from New York are the the reason this hospital exists. So. Casey's put in a position where it's time to do economic readings again, and he's not great at these. But the one thing he does say when they force him to do the reading is that there surely must come a time where there will be panic in the money centers. That's all he said. But the reason I said the date a couple of times, April 6, 1929, because within the calendar year of 1929, the Great Depression happens. And this is another grand slam that people attribute to Casey. Which, however you want to interpret it. It's a pretty vague amount of language, but the guy told them to hedge their bets, and then the Great Depression happens. Who knows how things work? I have no idea what's going on. But anyway, those angel investors were like, whoa, we nailed that. And the whole, the whole thing collapses, unfortunately, in about three years. Even though Casey gave his investors a heads up, and allegedly his investors didn't lose a dime in the Great Depression. How the hospital actually foreclosed after the Great Depression happened was that there wasn't just, there was, the, there was a pair of dudes who gave him the 60K, but that 60K wasn't all from that one pair of dudes. There was also other like knickknack investors in that 60K, like somebody gave 10K, Somebody chucked in $3,000, whatever. But when it came time for like hospital management, when the stock market crashes, everybody was fighting for control of Casey because everybody believed in his psychic powers. And that's what made it real nasty. So whoever walked out of there with Casey still as a person they can tap for economic predictions was going to be the winner. So that hospital, which still needs to run every day and have money coming into it to buy supplies and a staff to be able to keep track of patients. The day-to-day -day operations didn't really keep up once the investors were knocking around with each other and bothering Casey the whole time. Because Casey was the manager and also one of the treating physicians at that medical facility. So if he has to spend time all day talking to these investors about where's money going, when secretly the investors are just fighting over who could ask him about horse races next, his, I mean, his hospital day-to-day -day operations kind of fell by the wayside. And that place foreclosed, man. After the Great Depression, didn't, it didn't last longer than about three years. And that was Casey's dream, man. He had finally gotten there to be able to help people out with whatever he was able to do, whether it was real or not or what's going on, I don't really know. But the guy had a talent for talking to people, and, and that was the end of that. And it said that after the hospital closed down, Casey would walk the hallways just kind of like touching stuff and being... About as sad as you can think of, which is, which is kind of another reason why I don't think he was a huckster, man. I also think that would be a really difficult detail to invent if you were somebody who was trying to craft a narrative of like a guy who definitely didn't do anything wrong, but you privately know he was in on it. That, like that little, that little detail of like up and down the hallways, moving chairs around and stuff when the place was totally foreclosed. That just kind of sounds like a dude who's crushed, man. And so unless you had like, uh, I mean, it could certainly be done, but that detail specifically of like walking around those hallways, I was like, man, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe this guy is just kind of getting taken advantage of. And I don't really know if he even knows 
what he's doing. All right, well, the hospital's gone. It was fun while it lasted. What do you do now, Ed? Well, he starts a nonprofit in New York City. Now, the way that this works is that he would draw a salary, flat salary. He's not getting paid by the session. It's a nonprofit. He knows what he's going to make. So all the readings for anybody who comes into this nonprofit, free. He's not charging any money. He just wants to work with people, man. He gets set up in a sting operation by the New York City Police Department. So, like, a duo of man and woman police officers come into him. They solicit him for a reading. He does their reading. Cops bust into this nonprofit, take him away to jail. Because at the time, fortune-telling was illegal in New York City. Now, there was nothing to the case because Casey, Edgar Casey, didn't solicit those police officers. He wasn't like, hey, let me come tell your fortune. So the, the charges were dropped. The cops went and got him. You can't. That didn't count, at least for whatever the laws were for fortune telling back then. I mean, I could bullshit like I know what I'm talking about, but that does sound like entrapment. Like, what are you talking about? If I'm, I'm reading, you came to me, man. I don't know. I'm basing that on information I know from the HBO special Hookers at the Point from when I was like, nah, eh, lower than that, about 13. About 13 years old. Watching it and typing it in on the, this is dating me, but like, you used to be able to get the lock channels if you type them in. On the remote control. Anyway, so Casey was definitely entrapped, according to hookers on the point, by the New York City Police Department. Charges were dropped, but he was disgraced. And the, the press made a killing off it. They ran that story. Shyster, totally not real psychic, gets arrested. Because Casey was kind of famous at this point in time from back when his dad hooked him up with that booker and he blew up the first time. People kind of know this guy's name by now. So it's a famous arrest, and it's a disgraceful arrest for Casey, unfortunately. So he moves over to Detroit, just keeps doing what he loves to do. Same thing happens over there, gets arrested again. All right, all right. So at this point, with two public arrests under his record, he decides to kind of slow it down a little bit. He's at the end of his life, and he gets convinced by, who do you think convinced him to do this? Six to eight readings a day. He's used to two a day. He's not used to this quantity of readings. Who do you think in this story you've heard? It's his dad, of course. You got there as soon as I asked you. Of course it was his dad who was like, hey, let's do six to eight. Six to eight a day can get this done, you know? We just go private on our own, get it done. Edgar Casey uh, collapses from exhaustion. He was, uh, it was January 3rd. 1945, that Edgar Casey eventually dies at the age of 67. But after a short time of doing six to eight readings a day, after being arrested twice and publicly disgraced and taken advantage of, mostly, I mean, pretty much his whole life. Uh, yeah, he collapsed in 1944 and then went back to Virginia Beach where Atlantis Crystals, either nobody could find him or if they found him, they, they, they couldn't help him. Because, yeah, he did pass away. On January 3rd, 1945, Edgar Casey died. Age of 67. Now, in his last couple of years on Earth, he did try to study what his brain was doing. Because he was raised a uh, pretty devout Christian. And then from that, but he also had to square this psychic gift. So as he explains it, in the last years of his life, he was trying to figure out what he was what he was doing because he, he always said he could never control it he didn't know what he was doing he was asleep dude somebody could put his hand in a bowl of warm water and make him piss his trousers if they wanted to 
He had no idea what was happening when he was out. He was just out there, and they were just mumbling about, like, you got a busted toe and some gout, dude. You got to get some oranges. You are vitamin deficient. He'd wake up like, what happened? I got I to get some eggs, man. I'm tired. He had no idea what he was doing when he was doing any of this. So as he describes it, it's not a psychic thing as in, like, talking to a divine being. Casey would say before he passed away that it's, he saw it as when he would go to sleep, he would be granted access to certain, I guess, divine areas of knowledge. Specifically, there's one called the Akashic Records, which I don't know what the hell that is. But the way he that he described it is that it, there's a universal subconscious. And so Casey didn't see it as a divine or an evil being giving him, giving him these predictions. He was just able to tap into anybody's subconscious and then be able to look through their body, through their subconscious, see what's wrong with them, and then spit out the diagnosis in jargon that people of the day were able to understand. That's, that's what Casey claimed. That was his best understanding of what was going on his whole life. So whether you believe it or not, that's what he thought it was. There's a ton of people who think it's a ton of different things. And it's one of those things, much like space aliens, that how's anybody really going to argue with it? You know? So it's sort of a free roll topic. You can think whatever you want at it, you know? If you want to believe in Atlantis, go for it. I don't know. Did I think about driving down to Virginia Beach? I don't know. I did think about, like, how crazy it would be if somebody at Virginia Beach was like, I got this crystal, and then we find out it's from Atlantis. Like, it's a fun story, man. That's all I wanted out of this, and it's the 420 special, so that's, that's pretty much all I want to do is talk to you guys. I appreciate you guys listening to the show. I'll be back this same week with Wednesday. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be Wednesday or not. I'm not sure what's going to go on, but before the end of the week, we'll have a Patreon episode, and I might keep it real weird like this. Just to break it up, because coming off the sun also rises where, I don't know, Christopher really needed to turn that frown upside down coming into this one. So I was pretty happy to have a pretty uh, weird topic to be able to take a look at. So thank you guys for listening to the show. If you're on Patreon, I'll talk to you later this week. And if not, I'll talk to you guys uh, Monday next week. Thanks so much, guys. I'll talk to you later. I'll see you.